I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of John as we're continuing in a chronological sermon series that's called It's All About Jesus. We're actually looking at the life of Jesus, and we started this sermon series at the beginning of December, and we looked chronologically from his birth, and we're going to look all the way to the cross and what's going to take us a good part of this year, if not the entire year. We're going to be in this series for about another three weeks, and then at that point, we're going to break as we get into April. We're going to focus on Easter, and then we'll come back. But everything that we've looked at since the beginning of December has been the events of the life of Jesus in order that they actually happened. And we're starting to see that these events are starting to happen in a very quick manner. They're, they're one right after the other. A few weeks ago, we had seen where Jesus was in the wilderness, and, and he was spending 40 days alone and was isolated and, and was tempted by Satan. And, and then the, the next day, Jesus meets some of his disciples, some of the men who would start to follow him. And three days later, Jesus takes his men and his followers and they go to a wedding with his mother. And, and it's there that he performs his very first miracle. And then within a week of the end of the wedding, Jesus is on a hundred mile journey from Capernaum to Jerusalem for the Passover. And then while he's at the Passover, he pushes over the tables of the money changers and, and he sets out free all of the animals that were there being sold. And, and then one evening during the Passover, we saw in the last couple of weeks that Jesus has a conversation with a gentleman by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus and Jesus have this conversation that's recorded and it gives us an indication that we need to be born again in order to spend eternal life with God the Father. And immediately after this Passover celebration, and after this conversation with Nicodemus, we come to the next action that we see with Jesus and his disciples. I told you a few weeks ago that it's going to be really important to be here every Sunday because we're basically binge-watching the story of Jesus. We're going to look and we're going to see what Jesus did we're going to look and we're going to see what Jesus said. And we're going to see what Jesus was teaching people and what he's teaching us. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 3, we're picking up in verse 22 through 26 in a message that I have titled, Our Private Public Ministry. Scholars suggest that there may have been hundreds of thousands of people at the Passover. Remember, over the last couple of weeks, we were talking about Passover when it's this annual event and Jesus was there. And, and there's just thousands of people at the Passover celebration that came every year. And at this point in our story, however, the Passover event is over. And everyone who's from out of town is now heading home. So far in our story, we don't see Jesus settling down in any one place. So if we think, okay, well, where's Jesus going? Where is his home? Well, Jesus has no home. Jesus is moving around. And so ever since that he came out of the desert, he's, he's not stopping. He continues to move. And him and his disciples are now heading back into the countryside of Judea. And I want you to read with me in John chapter 3. We're in verse number 22. We're going to read through verse number 26. The Bible says that Jesus left his and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. 
Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Anion and Selim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people and everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. So Jesus leaves the Passover, he leaves Jerusalem and he goes out into the countryside And it's around an area where John the Baptist is baptizing. We know that John spent plenty of time in the area of the river, and and people would come to him and be baptized, and that's where uh, Jesus has gone. Now, we have no indication that they were within sight distance of each other, but they're somewhat close, and the disciples of Jesus are doing baptism, and John is doing baptism. And it's created a little bit of a problem, not between John and Jesus, But between the disciples, the disciples of John start to really kind of have this this problem. There's a struggle going on in their head. See, they were very loyal to John the Baptist. They're loyal to their devoted teacher. They they followed John for a while, and, and as a matter of fact, Jesus now has following him some of the guys that used to follow John. So the disciples now that are with John actually can see some of their former comrades that are following this other guy now, right? And baptizing. That would have been only a few weeks ago. And so what we're starting to see is John's men being set back to see some of their former co-laborers in the ministry are out with Jesus and they're baptizing too. And they seem to be baptizing a lot of people. Now our numbers are a little bit lower because everyone's going somewhere else, right? There's this debate between the disciples of John and a certain Jew. We don't know if this man is one of Jesus' disciples, but at least somebody and a Jewish person. And their argument comes down to ceremonial cleansing. And so the disciples of John are going to go and ask their teacher. They're going to go talk to their teacher. But... But then they're going to say, hey, you know what? I got another problem to bring up to you, John. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people that are going somewhere else. By this time throughout Israel, people knew who John the Baptist was. There was people from all walks of life who would go and see him. Convoys of people would descend upon the area that John the Baptist was baptizing. See, the disciples of John the Baptist, they were worried about earthly numbers. They were worried about figures. They were worried about attendance. They were were starting to see their influence diminish. And the disciples of John the Baptist were starting to get a little bit upset. They were starting to fear. They're, They're starting to wonder what would happen if everyone stopped coming to John the Baptist. See, it's this point that John sits these guys down and he says, okay, let's have a little talk. John gives them a very important lesson, and it's actually a lesson that I pray us at this church understand deeply and understand fully. Come back with me. We're in John chapter 3, verse number 27. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know that I plainly told you I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. 
It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and show and, and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less. Wow. Write this down, point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us for the first time, on the left-hand side of your bulletin, you'll find some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those words that you could fill in there if you would like to and, and keep up with the sermon. Point number one this morning, in our personal ministry, it's not about us, but rather, it's all about Jesus. See, John tells his disciples, he says, you don't have customers coming to be baptized. You only have what God gives you. John says, no one would receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. These aren't your people. These are God's people. And John continues to tell them again. He says, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the answer that everyone is looking for. I'm simply the forerunner. I'm the herald. I'm the guy that comes to make way for the Messiah. I'm the one who's supposed to tell everyone about Jesus. John says, he utters one of the most humble statements that you're going to find in the entire Bible. He says this, I am filled with the joy at his success. Wow. It's pretty powerful, right? He must become greater, and I must become less. Some of us have worked with companies. We've worked at different places who may be... Maybe our jobs became compromised when a competitor moved into town. Maybe we've been bought out by other companies, and, and you think, okay, so they're going to change things. I'm not quite exactly sure what's going to happen to my job. Is this new company going to just get rid of everybody? Is the, when, when there's a threat on the things that we hold dear, sometimes we kind of pull into earthly mode and pull out of heavenly mode, Right? Yeah, some of us wonder, hey, what is going to happen? It's, it's as if we, we value the things that we can hold earthly. And John's saying, it's not about you. He's saying, these people aren't yours. He says, don't look at me. I have a job to do, but I don't want any of the attention. What John is saying, he says, I want out of the spotlight. It's not me. The spotlight belongs on Jesus. And see, John had spoken this, and he had lived this so much that Jesus even noticed this. I want you to see in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 11, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom is greater than he. So Jesus is saying, of everyone on the entire earth, the greatest person is John the Baptist. John, Jesus notices the humility of John. You think Jesus would notice that if John was a spotlight seeker? I mean, everyone would notice a spotlight seeker, right? That means everyone notices John. John's job wasn't to tell people about John the Baptist. Sometimes in our personal ministry, we find pride in the fact that Maybe we get to help somebody to Jesus, and it, and it, and it does feel good. Or, may, or maybe, maybe in other churches, in other places, you pride yourself, and people can pride themselves on, 
oh, you need to come to church and hear my preacher. He's on the radio all the time, and, and, and people buy his Bibles and these kind of things. By the way, I don't have any Bibles with my name on them. And, and, but, it's not about, but it's not about us, right? As a matter of fact, it's not about any of us in this room, right? There are times when we try and help other people, and we want to help them our way. And we want it to all be about structures and systems and putting ourselves in the center and putting the the church in the center of what we do and that's not what John the Baptist is telling his men he's telling his men it's not about us it's all about Jesus from the beginning of this sermon series called it's all about Jesus I've probably spoken that I hope I've spoken that 200 times because if there's one thing I want this church to be known for, it's all about Jesus. Amen? Of course, the disciples of John the Baptist wouldn't have been They would have been ministering to the people who had come to them to be baptized. And, and they would have been inviting them back. To, you know, come back out to the river because we're going to preach again tomorrow. Come back out because there's more people to be baptized. So understandably, when... The disciples see that the numbers are diminishing. They're, they're struggling with this, this earthly struggle. Sometimes we find churches that compare attendance numbers to one another and some pride themselves on having the most people or pride themselves on having the best preacher or the coolest events or the best website. And sometimes on the other side, some people pride themselves on going to a small church. They say, you know what, my church is so cool because... It's so small. It's like the anti-big church. Like, we don't have a fog machine. And, and um, come and, and join us. And don't get me wrong, cheap churches need people to work. We need equipment for ministry. And we do need worldly things sometimes to get the message out. I mean, just look around and things that we have and things that we need. Small churches are great. But again, it's not about the size of the church, right? It's not about who the church is. It's all about Jesus. John starts to teach his disciples that anything that we do, it's limited to what humans can do. Wouldn't it be fair to say that we can only do as much as we can do? We can only do as much as is physically possible? Jesus can do as much as is heavenly possible, amen? We have limits. And John tells his disciples that Jesus is not limited to what he could do because he's not limited to earth. Come back with me. We're in John chapter 3, verse number 31. John's still having a conversation with his disciples. He says, He has come from above, and it is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard. But how few people believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything in it into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Point number two in your notes this morning. And this is so important. The advice that we give to others is worthless 
unless it comes from the Word of God. The advice that you and I give to others, the direction that you and I will, will, will help others with is absolutely worthless if it's earthly. John's basically telling his disciples that even if you could do your best, the best you could do is worldly. The best you could do is within your own limits. It's bound by human limitations. Even if you're trying to give somebody a correction to sinful behavior, there's only so much you can do because you're human. But God could do so much more. Jesus says John is sent by God the Father and that Jesus speaks of God's words because the Father has given the Son the Spirit without limit. Wouldn't that be amazing to have the Spirit without limit? Everyone here, we all have limits, right? I'll tell you my limits. I used to be able to run a mile in like... Okay, that's not a very good example. Um, I have limits. There's only so much that I can do. There's only so far that I can go. And John says that Jesus doesn't have these limits, that, that he, can, he can save the world, but he says nobody's listening to him. Nobody's believing him. And then there's this warning that people will believe the disciples of John because they're talking from an earthly standpoint. He's, he's, he's warning, hey, be careful. Because from this human standpoint, what good is it if people believe in you and me, but they don't believe in Jesus? What good is that? If somebody's listening to us and they come and they say, you know what, I love going to um, my counseling sessions with Pastor Chris or whatever, whoever it is, it's not about me. It's not about me. If somebody is simply listening to us, the belief in us as humans is absolutely worthless. As you grow in your faith, and I know, I know as Christians that, that you've seen growth in your life, for those of you that, that believe in the, in the Lord, there are people in your life that know you. Is Christians and it's not going to be uncommon for them to come to you or for them to look at you differently because they know that you have faith but if people come to you as Christians for advice for direction if they come for spiritual guidance and we speak to them with earthly words and pop culture praises we are doing so much harm I've actually personally known Christians who gave marriage advice at one point to a young lady who had gotten married really early and was in a pretty disastrous marriage. And this young lady had, had come to some older ladies who she knew were, were part of the church or she knew had at least a Bible, could offer some advice. And, and this young woman was married to a guy who... You know, he didn't work, he didn't go to school, he didn't fill his responsibilities as a husband, and this younger lady was just looking for some direction. And I've literally heard Christian women say things like, you know what, you just need to leave the bum. Things like, you need to do whatever it takes to make you happy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is worldly advice. 
That's not biblical advice. They'd say things like, you deserve to be treated so much better than this. And you know what? Although that might be true, that's earthly direction, but that's not heavenly direction. Would it be fair to say that if we allow the Bible to guide our marriages, that we're going to have better marriages? You have Christian people who are saying, oh yeah, you don't need to put up with this. It's not okay. Because that means that, means that we're giving, from a Christian perspective, earthly advice. We're giving earthly direction. How does that make us any different? As men, we need to follow our biblical instruction. As women, we need to follow our biblical instruction. Shouldn't people in our lives who know that we are Christians expect more from us in our public-private ministry? Shouldn't they expect more from us than they do from the world? That's what John's telling his disciples. He's saying, you can only do so much. Jesus here can do so much more. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. If we're like the hands and feet of the church, and if the church is the bride of Christ, then shouldn't people expect more from Jesus than they do from the world? Shouldn't they expect more from the church than they expect from the grocery store? Shouldn't they expect more from you and me than they do from just people walking around the mall? There's an expectation, right? Instead, we could probably be encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ with beginning our conversations with statements like, you know what, let's see what the Bible says. Maybe statements like, I know that God has an answer for this, let's go find it together. Maybe, you know what, that's a tough marriage, that's a tough situation, I get it, let's start in prayer. Let's go to the Lord. John the Baptist was so adamant about his biblical principles that he would not budge. He was not going to loosen his understanding of the scriptures. He wasn't going to give any on who he was and what his ministry was. John the Baptist would tell it like it is. Sometimes we get in these situations, it's hard to tell it like it is, right? John doesn't care. He's going to tell it like it is. What would things be like if John the Baptist censored his mouth because he was going to offend somebody? Wow. That would change our entire dynamic of our faith, right? John would call people out. And John was somewhat of a celebrity at this point. People knew who he was. People would go to him to be baptized. It would be as if one of our major world celebrities threw shade on somebody else on Twitter in our, in our day and age, okay? That's what happened when John the Baptist starts to talk about government figures. See, John would call out the Pharisees, the religious figures. He'd call out the government officials. I want to jump. We're going to make one of those jumps right now. We're going to jump to the Gospel of Luke. No, actually, we're in the Gospel of John. Uh, Luke, sorry. We're in the Gospel of Luke, one book back from John. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. As we continue chronologically in this story, I want you to see what happens to John because of his witness. This should be up here on the, on the screen. 
Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to many others. John didn't care who you were. If you are a ruler and you're living outside of God's law, he's going to call you out on it. Point number three in your notes this morning. Sometimes... Standing by our heavenly calling will get us in earthly trouble. Sometimes standing by our heavenly calling is going to get us in earthly trouble. The ministry of John the Baptist was very particular. His job, appointed by God, was to let people know that the Messiah was coming and to fulfill prophecy. And if John would have wavered on his support of the gospel at all, and, and if he would have given in and said, you know what, I don't want to offend you at all, so I'm just going to kind of lay up, You know what we'd have? We would have had a really wishy-washy religious leader in John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not a flimsy leader. How well do Christians follow flimsy leaders? It's kind of a struggle, huh? Matter of fact... It was his words, John's words, that got him thrown into jail. Herod, the ruler of the district of Galilee, he had really become fed up with John the Baptist, talking smack about his sinful lifestyle, and, and, and just he was so tired of listening to it. He says, that's it, jail for you, dungeon. Go get him, lock him up. And that's pretty easy to be done back in that day and age. Herod acted outside the law of Moses as he married his brother's wife, and John knows this is not appropriate. And Herod's just going to, he's going to shut this guy up, and he does. And I want you to notice what John does. And I also want you to notice what John doesn't do. John spoke about the wrongdoings of a government leader, but John doesn't cause a revolt. John doesn't, he doesn't stage a protest. He doesn't stir up people on social media. He didn't spread hate. He simply told the truth. He simply just just preached the message, said this is what God says, and you're out of line. That's all John had to do to get put in jail in his day. Every day in this country, thousands of people will line up on the sidewalks outside of abortion clinics in many cities, and there's Christians who stand outside with signs that, just hoping that they can convince just one more mother to save her child. And some people have gone to jail because of their excessive protesting at abortion clinics, and and I understand that. And these are places where we can get in very intense arguments. John the the Baptist was sent to jail, and I do believe that God allowed this because the ministry of John the Baptist was complete. John had done his job. There was a reason why John was born. There was a reason why John lived out in the wilderness, why he baptized. He had a ministry. And you and I have an opportunity to spread the good news as well. I don't think our ministry is done with. It's a little easier to spread the good news about Jesus in public than we can in jail. Doesn't mean that that we don't need to 
stay true to our word. It doesn't mean that we bend the truth to satisfy the world, but we need to know when, it's time, when the time is right to, to voice our opinion and, and let the gospel be known, but then we need to know what to do next. And I think this is so important as Christians. Staying chronological in our study, we're going to see what the actions are of Jesus once he hears the news of John's arrest. I'm going to take us to Matthew chapter 4, we're in verse number 11, and then we're going to hear again from the Apostle John on this matter. In Matthew chapter 4, verse number 12, we read, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. We're going to see in John chapter 4, verse number 4, it says he had to go through Samaria on the way. This is going to make sense next week as well because we're going to start a series on the story about the woman at the well. But I want you to watch this. Point number four in your notes. Threats to our ministry don't always require us to stand and fight. Sometimes we need to go and find new sheep. Threats to our ministry don't always require us to stand and fight, but sometimes we need to go and find new sheep. Jesus knew that the pressure was on. The Pharisees did not like him. Jesus had just been in Jerusalem a week or two ago, and he had caused a big scene at the Passover. The Pharisees don't like him. Pharisees know where he's at. They just had John arrested out in the area, and, and if Jesus would stay in this area, and if he's arrested, that's going to cause some pretty big problems, huh? The place where Jesus and his disciples were baptizing was near John the Baptist, and in that area, it's not too far from Jerusalem, it would have been pretty easy to just grab Jesus, throw him in jail. I don't want anyone to get the impression that Jesus is running away because that's not what he's doing. He'll come back and he'll minister in this area again. But for now, his ministry is better with him in the field than it is with him in jail. There's a lot that he can do in the field. In, in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks to his disciples about not staying too long where people aren't going to listen to you. He says this in chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. He says, in the house, And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone does not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and leave that house or town. If they're not going to listen to you, there's somebody somewhere else that needs to. There's somebody somewhere else who wants to. So Jesus is going to go. And he's going to minister in another location. He's going to go to Galilee. There are people there who need to know about Jesus. There are people there who need to know about the Messiah, who need to know about the, the saving grace that God brings. Sometimes after we made our point, and after we've preached in an area and we've done all that we could do, for the time being, sometimes it's time to go and find new sheep. Sometimes it's time to just shake off the dust. 
Jesus could have stayed and argued with the people, and he could have, with his heavenly power, simply changed the minds and convinced people of who he was, but that's not who he is. And I'm sure that he could have miraculously just turned the swords of the Roman soldiers who came after him into sponge, but it's not what Jesus did, and that's not what we do. Jesus wanted to find new people to tell about the kingdom of heaven. He'd already told these people. Either they're going to listen or they're not. But he told these people, and now he needs to go and tell other people. Sometimes, in our, <clears throat> sometimes our work in a specific area, it's done much sooner than we, than we think. Sometimes God has plans for us somewhere else, right? To reach new people, to guide new souls, to just bring new people to Christ. I'm not going to lie to you. The fact that we have to leave this building next month has been a trouble to my heart for quite a while now. It was after the city council <clears throat> meeting that I had in February, or I went to in February, and I asked the council if they would allow us to stay here a little bit longer. And uh, a week or so later, I got the phone call that our request was denied, and that we're about to have to move the second time in seven months. It's a, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow, and um, it hurt, not going to lie. It's tough to look and say, where are we going to go? But you know what? It was through this scripture that the Lord just kind of put on my heart and said, it's not the city council that's forcing us to a no location, but rather the Lord has new people that he wants us to reach. He has plans that we don't even know about. There are people somewhere else that are waiting for the word of Christ to be preached to them. Amen? Amen. That are waiting for a congregation to come into their neighborhood and say, we want to be family with you. Maybe our job was to plant the seed here at the senior center, and maybe it's somebody else's job to come after us and water it. Or maybe wherever we're going, somebody has already planted a seed, and it's our job to come and water that seed. Are we spending too much time trying to break a rock with our fists when there is wheat that needs to be harvested? We're going to pack up joyfully. And we're going to find a new home joyfully. And before we go, <clears throat> we're going to meet right up here and we're going to pray over whoever is coming behind us in this location. I don't know that there was ever a church that was meeting here on Sunday mornings, and I don't know if there ever will be, but we want this house to be the house of the Lord forevermore. Amen? Amen. We'll just let this room just, just be a place where Jesus lives. As a pastor of this church, it's not about me. As a church, as Paris Valley Community Church, it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. I would hope that nobody ever goes out in the public square and says, hey, you need to come and hear Pastor Chris because it's not about me. I'd pray that nobody goes out and tells people to come to our small, comforting church that maybe you bring people here based on emotion. Or maybe you tell them that, you know, hey, it's nice we all know each other and that's great, but it's not about us. It is absolutely not about us. Worldly things can come and go. And I'll tell you what, 
since this church formed at our kitchen table in July of 2017, worldly things have come and go. You know what the easiest thing to bring to a church is? Worldly things. You know what the easiest thing to lose from a church is? Worldly things, right? But if you come here for me or you come here for the small church feel, I'm going to ask you to reevaluate. But if you come here for Jesus, I pray that you'll stay. And I'll pray that, that you will find somebody in your life who needs to hear about Jesus and bring that person. And I pray that you get more and more involved with, with this church and in this community of believers as we focus on keeping our eyes set on the Lord in everything that we do because we want to show the world and we want to show Paris that it's not about us but rather it is all about Jesus.